Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, my name is Wayan. I'm one of the pastors in SIBKL. You don't see me very often. Uh, that's because I serve in LifeGen, uh, one of the church plants of SIBKL. And so, greetings to all of you uh, from LifeGen. Uh, we, we send you our love and our greetings, and, and we want to just praise God with you. Praise God with you for all that you are, God is doing, in, in not just in LifeGen, but in the whole SIBKL family. Amen. Amen. We've, uh, before I move on to my service, uh, to, my, to my message, um, I, I want to just make a couple of things. I want to do two things. First of all, I want to remind you, um, if you have not heard the announcement, or tell you if you have not heard the announcement, that next weekend, if you have not f- uh, remembered, is Chinese New Year. And so, very special for you, what we've done is we've decided that for next weekend, there will only be one service on Sunday at 10 a.m., and that service will not be here. Alright? So, tell the person on your right and left, it's not going to be here. Neither will it be in SMCC. It will be in your house. Alright, so this is, this is what's going to happen. We're going to have no on-site service. It will be an online service. Um, it will start at 10 a.m. on 11th of February, which is on Sunday, uh, day two of Chinese New Year. And so what you can, and what we welcome you to do is to tong tong chiang and to hallelujah all at the same time. Alright, so bring your family, bring your friends, you know, say, hey, look, um, we want to just worship God together this Chinese New Year. Um, so just hold off on the pineapple tarts for a while. We want to worship God. We want to listen to the Word of God. And you get to do that together as a family uh, on uh, Sunday next week. Alright, so remember that. The first thing I want to do is tell you, no on-site service. It will be one online service next Sunday at 10 a.m. Second thing I want to ask of you is this. Some of you will not be doing this service in your home. You will actually be going back to your hometowns. How many of you are going back to your hometowns? All right. Nice. Okay. We want to pray for you. Shall we want to bless you? And, 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 and for those of you going back to your hometowns, we also want to thank you because my traffic now is a lot nicer. But can I just get you all to stand? For those of you who are going to your, back to your hometowns, how near, how far you're going back to your hometowns, can I give you a stand? We want to pray for you. We want to bless you. Um, and, and the word that, that I feel God has to, to, just, to just declare over you is this. The red of Chinese New Year will remind us of the power of the blood of Jesus. That's what we talked about in communion. That's what we declared in communion. And when you go back to your hometowns, or even those of you who are, in, uh, who are in the Klang Valley, as you go to your homes, as you visit others, and for those of you who are not Chinese, but you're going to you know, see some Chinese friends, celebrate with them, you bring the presence of Jesus with you everywhere you go. And we know that whatever situation any of your friends or your family members are going through, whether it's medical, financial, whether it's, whether it's a, a difficult family issue, the blood of Jesus you are bringing that, you're bringing that with you. And it will apply, and it will, you will bring that love of Jesus to their families and into those situations. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for journey mercies for those who are traveling back to their hometowns and then also back to the Klang Valley. Lord, we pray, Father, that you will be with them as they travel. May your angels guard them, protect them. And Lord, for all of us, wherever we are at this Chinese New Year, wherever we, we, we spend time with and we converse and have relationship with as we, as we rekindle old friendships or old family relationships. Lord, in all these things, may the blood of Jesus 
be applied into every conversation, be applied into every blessing that we give. And Lord, that whatever situation people go through, even though at times in Chinese New Year, we smile more often, but those situations are still there and we plead the blood of Jesus over them. We plead the protection of Jesus over their lives and the presence of the Holy Spirit will be with you. Anoint us, O oh Father, as we go out into the world and celebrate and bring your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Please be seated. Wow. Um, how many of you were here last week for service? All right. So we've started on the Samuel series and we're moving quite fast into the life of David. Uh, and so it is my honor to share with you on the second week of this series uh, a part of the story of the life of David. In fact, what is interesting about the life of David is that you don't hear very much about his childhood life. Childhood meaning anywhere under 12, 13 years old. You don't hear very much. In fact, when you go into 1 Samuel, you almost immediately go into 1 Samuel 16 and straight away, 1 Samuel 16 tells us that Samuel anoints David to be king. And so he's probably past young childhood. He's probably past kid zone age already. He's probably in his teenage years now, and then he gets anointed, and today I'm going to share with you from 1 Samuel 17, which is to most of us, one of the most famous stories in the Bible that you've probably heard of since the day you were in Sunday school. The story of David and Goliath. So turn with me, everyone, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. With your Bibles, whether it's hard copy, whether it's uh, on your phones, just turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We are going to revisit the story of David and Goliath. For some of you, if you were, um, if you were born in a Christian home, if you've been in Sunday school just like myself, uh, or if you were at home and your parents, and you, some of you heard my story do, uh, about this, heard your parents reenact the story of David and Goliath. In my home, it would be my father who would, you know, tumble on the bed because all his kids are Davids. They're all boys, by the way. So I have two brothers, um, three of us. So we're all Davids and, and Goliath tumbles on the bed and the only thing we did not do is cut off his head. And so we've heard this story of David and Goliath since we were young. We've visited the story, we've revisited the story, we act out the story at home and then go to Sunday school, also act out the story again. And we've heard this story so many times. It's a very familiar one. But what we want to do when we go and read stories that we've read many multiple times again is always ask God, ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to show me today? What is it that you want to show me today? Do not let the fact that the story is familiar blind you to the message that God wants you to, God wants you to know at any point in time when you're reading the Word. So it can be the story of David and Goliath. Or it can be any other story you've read long for, for, for many years. It could have been a memory verse that you have memorized for years. And yet when you look at it again and you say, Holy Spirit, teach me, the Holy Spirit will reveal because the Word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces bone and marrow. And so it does not matter how many times you've heard this passage or you've heard this story before, we know and we believe it will speak into each and every one of our hearts. 
So Holy Spirit, we pray that you will do that today. You know the story. And so I'm going to just jump to the question first. Why did David win? That's the question my parents asked me when I was a kid and we read the story. So why do you think David won? That's the question I ask my kids now. Why do you think that David won? In fact, in my house, the story is called the story of Dave and Golly. But so why do you think David won? So why did David win? For those of you who have not heard the story, this is the, the, the brief synopsis. Three things happened in that story. First one is this. Goliath taunted or challenged the Israelites. So you have two armies set out for battle. The Israelite army, under the leadership of a king by the name of King Saul at the time, and you have the Philistine army, which was, uh, well, we don't, it doesn't identify who the leader of the, the army was, but it identifies one soldier who is a giant, who is a champion, and the Bible describes him as a warrior or a fighter since he was a youth. All right, so since he was very young, he has been fighting. So he's very experienced. He is, he is, his name is Goliath. So Goliath comes out every day as the armies are forming their battle positions. Every day he comes out and then he taunts the entire Israelite army. He throws a challenge to Israel and says this. And so 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse uh, 8. All right, so let me get there. 1 Samuel 17, verse 8. He says, choose a man for yourselves. So he's telling the Israelite army, all of them standing in their battle positions. He says, choose a man for yourself. Now, sorry, let me give you some context. Goliath is tall. I'm not. Goliath's voice may be louder, more, you know, bellowing voice. Uh, mine, not so, lah. All right? So imagine for yourself that this is what Goliath is doing. Choose for a man among yourselves. Come, fight me. If he wins, we become your slaves. If I win, and by, by winning, he means the other guy dies. Eh? So if he wins and I die, then we become your slaves. If I win and your champion dies, you all become our slaves. 40 days, he does this. He throws this challenge to Israel and Israel shudders. Israel is in fear. The Bible tells us that Israel was so greatly afraid. And so... Goliath comes out every single day and he says, choose, come, champion, send one person. And you know how tall Goliath is? Goliath is, if you, if you look at the, at the passage, it's about six cubits and a span. So roughly that looks about nine to ten feet tall. But he's not basketball type tall. He is muscular. He's huge because if you look at the list of the description of the, of the weapons and the armor that he's carrying and you must be very strong to carry all of that. Not only that, he's got an armor bearer. So he's got someone who is with him, who is carrying either the rest of his armor or who stands in front of him as well to, to, to be sort of like your first line of defense before you meet this big giant. And so that's Goliath's weaponry, that's Goliath's position. He comes out every day for 40 days, taunting, throwing a challenge to Israel and he says, come. Send someone, fight me. On the other end of this battle position, 
Besides the fact that you had a whole lot of so Israeli, Israelite soldiers who were now already like scared, there's this one boy. This one boy who is not even part of the army sent over to the Israelite camp because his father asked him to, to bring some provisions to his brothers and just, you know, give the father some news about what's happening at the, at the battlefront. His name is David. He goes up there on a one fine day as Goliath is taunting the whole of Israel and then David looks at all of this and go, I fight this guy lah. Nobody else does it, right? Nobody else who is obviously older than him because if you were 20 and above, you would have been conscripted into the army. You've been enlisted into the army. So he was obviously younger than that. So everyone else was older than him. And he goes up there. He's listening to this guy throw challenges at Israel. And then he says, oh, I will go and fight. How many of you have seen your kids do something like that? Pick up a challenge and just, no, like, oh. You cannot. Sure not. Because whatever David said, right, got into the ears of the soldiers, got into the ears of the commanders, and eventually went into the ears of King Saul. So King Saul calls him up, looks at him, bit of disbelief, and says, you're, you're a boy. You are, you, are, you are at the age when Goliath first started fighting. And Goliath has been fighting, say, 15, 20 years already. At least uh, from the time he was your youth, Goliath is fighting already. It's almost like Goliath saying, when I was your age, that kind of thing. So King Saul is in disbelief, but then David tells him, no, really, understand, hear me out. I have been fighting bears. Okay. I have been fighting lions. Okay, but they're not Goliath. But I will tell you, King Saul, that in, whether it's the bear, whether it's the lion, the hand of the Lord has been with me. God has been with me. And I know God is with me because this guy is challenging Israel. This guy is challenging God. And if God is with me, who is he? And so then David, by, by his description and his testimonies, convinces King Saul. King Saul says, okay, you go doesn't even say, I will go with you, no. He says, God will go with you. You go, God will be with you. And after that, King Saul turns around and says, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. before you go, uh, you try my armor first. Uh. Okay, you see if it works for you because I know if you're going to fight this guy and all you have is a sling and a pouch and a staff, uh, <laughs> you're dead meat. Uh. So he tries on the armor and then, and then David says, well, I, I've never tested these, it doesn't fit. And so he strips off all the armor goes into battle with four things. A staff, a sling, five stones, and a pouch. Four things. But we all know the end of the story. He goes out into battle, fights, and kills Goliath. And to just see how dramatic that, that, that success is, eh? he takes a stone, puts it in his sling, and slings it. Now, um, 
We think of sling usually as that little Y thing with a catapult and then you, you, know, you go and shoot animals with it in the, in the tree, that kind of thing. His, his is the kind of sling that kills animals one, right? So, so it's next level uh, sling and you really sling it around and then you release it and then the stone flies. Um, it should be an Olympic sport. France? Okay, anyway. Um, he, he puts a stone in a sling, slings it around, flings it, and the Bible says the stone hits Goliath on the forehead. That's the first thing. It hits Goliath on the forehead. That's what in, if you, if you play Counter-Strike, Call of Duty, that's what we call a headshot. All right? Snipers try and do that. They target you from afar. They you know, count the wind and all that. And, pop, and then they try and do a headshot. But got no sniper. It was a sling. Not just did it hit his forehead. The Bible says... Goliath was wearing a helmet made of bronze. And so for that stone to hit his forehead, it would have had to hit the helmet. And then the Bible says the stone sank into his forehead. Sank meaning the stone stuck into his forehead. It wasn't a ricochet, you know, pew. The stone hit the, the bronze helmet, goes through that bronze helmet, sinks into his forehead, into Goliath's skull, Goliath dies. Of course, we know the end of the story. David fights, kills Goliath. Israel has his great victory that the Lord brought for Israel. The Philistines uh, um, lose the, the war. Uh, they, they, they run. And so Israel then you know, charges and, and, and takes over and pursues them. Come back to the question. Why did David win? And here's my take home for you. This is the crux of my message. Your victory over your giants is dependent on who or what you magnify. Your victory over your giants depends on who or what you magnify. You know, in church settings, like, you know, we worship today, and we say, we magnify the Lord. Christ be magnified. Wonderful worship song, by the way. Christ be magnified. We often use that to mean Christ be lifted up. Christ be glorified. We, we, we honour you. We worship you. We, we often think of God seated on the throne. He's lifted up over the earth as the one who rules and reigns over all. And that is all true. But today, I want to propose something to you. I want to use the word magnify in its uh, slightly more scientific definition. To magnify is to zoom in. So not, I'm not lifting something up now, I'm zooming in. I'm zooming in onto something or someone so that my vision is fixated on that one thing only. Magnify. How many of you use Google Maps? How many of you have tried to find your own house on Google Maps? You know, when I do it, I try to find my own house on Google Maps. The first thing I do, obviously, on the phone is I zoom in, right? And then I zoom in some more, and then I zoom in some more until I follow that little red um, pointer there. I zoom, 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 because the point is I want to find out if the house that is identified as mine is actually my house. But as I'm zooming in further, the shop that is nearby my house gets out of the picture. The house 50 meters down the road is out of the picture. It's out of the screen already. I'm zooming in and I'm zooming in and I'm zooming in. And so what I only see at the end of the day is my house and maybe a few other buildings in the, in the surrounding, maybe two doors down. 
That's what zooming in is. So when you zoom in, your vision becomes fixated on that one thing that you are zooming in at. Everything else either goes out of the picture or out of focus. That's magnifying. And so for effect, with the benefit of permission of my third daughter, I brought a magnifying glass. I would have brought a microscope, but I'm a lawyer, I'm not a, a scientist. So I, the closest I got was a magnifying glass. But the point is this, if I now take this magnifying glass over my words here, then everything else outside of that magnifying glass is no longer magnified. It is no longer, it's out of focus. It is out of my vision, out of my scope of vision. I'm focused on what I am magnifying. That's what I'm going to look at today. The question is, of all the characters in 1 Samuel 17, who or what did they magnify? Who or what did they magnify? Because each character in the story magnified someone or something. And of course, we know, spoiler alert, only one person magnified the correct thing. But we need to understand because when we look at all these different characters, they may very well become relatable to even our own lives. Maybe I'm like Goliath. Maybe I'm like King Saul. Maybe I'm like Eliab, David's older brother. Maybe I'm like the Israelite army. Or am I like David? So five people we're going to look at today, or five groups of people we're going to look at today. The first one is Goliath. Who did Goliath magnify? Himself. So clear from Scripture. 1 Samuel 17 verse 8, he says, Am I not a Philistine and you servants of Saul? So he identifies himself and he identifies them. And he says, Choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to fight me. If he's able to fight me and kill me, we will be your servants. If I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and you will serve us. So very simple challenge, very, very simple to understand. Not simple to do, but simple to understand. But if you were to make that kind of challenge, you can do it either in two forms or two postures. One is you're very scared. Like, uh, <laughs> I will represent my house la, to do this race. La. I used to be in the red house. Right? So I represent my house to do this race. La. But I'm looking at the guy in, on my side there and he's like state champion. I'm like, <laughs> why did they choose me? Uh? And then I go up to him and say, if you win, you win. If I win, I, I win. Uh. Too bad for you. Uh. We're just going for goal. Uh. I know you sure win. And so there's this real like, fear. Uh, okay? that, you know, I, I don't think I will represent my people, my house, my, my group well. Whereas this guy is like, this fuller never run before. And I sure win. Uh. That's the other posture. And that's the posture I think Goliath took. Because you see, to offer yourself up to fight and be willing to die means you must have a lot of guts uh, to know that you're not going to die. That you would win the war. And it was very clear for Goliath because one, his experience, second, his skill, third, his size and his strength compared to every single one of the Israelites. You know who the tallest man in Israel was? And this is not a joke. It's not Nehemiah or, you know, they kind of build up the shoe height. Okay? Um, the tallest man in Israel was most likely someone along the heights of King Saul. Because when he was appointed king, the description of him was he was a man who is a head above everybody else. All right, so, I mean, it, it is a description, but, and he may not be the tallest, but 
if someone as King Saul is not as tall as Goliath, then Goliath is actually very, very, very tall. And compared to all of the Israelites, he would have been the one who had a lot of that stature and that position, and Goliath knew it. And so he said, he taunted them, he challenged them, come, pick your best champion, because I know I will win. That was his position. He magnified himself. You know you're big. You know you're experienced. You know no one in Israel has got that same level as you. It's like me when I tell my kids, okay, first person to the door of the house wins. Of course I will win. Nah. Unless I am very gracious. But if I'm competitive, I will go to the door first and I will tell the kids, if I win, you all obey me, okay? Of course, if I lose them first, I will do whatever you want me to do. And my kids know this, of course, that will win. Lah. And it was like that. So Goliath is like, you find somebody, find me. Ah. And the Israelite army knew, sure die one. Ah. And so Goliath magnified himself over and over again. He, he knew who he was. He knew his strength. He knew his skill. He knew no one in Israel would ever defeat him. And so he magnified himself. 1 Samuel 17 verse 43 is when David decides to come out. He looks at David, who's not even one of the soldiers, and says, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Curses David and then says, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Meaning to say, uh, even if I beat you, uh, your face is also not worthy to be on my wall. No. You, I'll feed you to the animals. Lah. You, you, that, that's, that's your level of worth. Because I am powerful. And so Goliath magnified himself over and over again. And the question though is this, have we magnified ourselves? And you're thinking, no, I'm not like Goliath, right? But if you, for example, gone into a negotiation for a business deal and you've prepared yourself, you've got your strategies out, you've got your experience, you've got, you know, 20, 30 years of business experience, you know people, you know these kind of people, you know this one, you read Sun Tzu out of war and one of that kind of thing, huh? And you prepare yourself and then the person opposite you is a rookie. Newcomer into the scene. Never done a business negotiation before. And then you're going, oh, sap, sap, I will settle this in no time. Everything will be in my favor. I will talk him into this, talk him into that. Done deal. Because that was what Goliath was thinking. He magnified himself. And so anybody who would come against him, no problem, dead meat. But have we done this to ourselves as well? Have we looked at people who, 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 who we're dealing with on the other end or dealing with or serve with or work with and we're saying, look, hey, I'm better than you. Lah. Look, I know better than you. I know more than you. I magnify myself more than you. Because in our work, especially as employers and you, you, you can call the shots on decisions, you have the position and authority, you call the shots on your salary, all of that. You make those decisions thinking, hey, I know better. Huh? Or as parents, 
I eat more salt than you eat rice. So you better listen to me. And so the question then is this, have we ended up magnifying ourselves? But the one that I feel is most important for us to address and understand is this, what happens when you're dealing with temptation? Because many of us, we run the risk of magnifying ourselves when temptation comes. Ah, it's okay lah, I've done it before, I know what to do. Ah, oh, just a little bit of this is fine. I know my tolerance level. And when you do that, you blind yourself to what the enemy can do in your life. And you magnify yourself instead. The other thing that you must understand is this, when you magnify yourself, it doesn't just happen to have, doesn't happen to, doesn't need to have a problem, right? It happens every time, even when you think there is no problem. In fact, because you magnify yourself, you think there is no problem. Yeah, there's more issue lah. Right? Because I'll tell you, Goliath probably slept very well every night for those 40 days. Simple job. Come out, taunt Israel, knowing you're going to win anyway. Cause some fear into them, make them shudder, and then go back and sleep. Next morning, eat breakfast. Okay, go out, taunt them again. Go back to sleep. Done deal. I will strike such fear into the Israelite army, nobody's going to come out and fight me. Eventually, they're just going to buckle. You see, the thing is, it's an attitude we carry. Yes, God has placed us in positions of authority. We have to make decisions. We have to call the shots. We take responsibility. But the question of who or what we magnify tells us the state of our hearts when we make those decisions. Do we magnify ourselves or do we magnify God? Do we magnify ourselves or do we magnify God? For Goliath, magnifying himself was wrong answer. And you will see that when you look at the life of David. The Israelites, second group, who did they magnify? My suggestion to you is they magnified the problem. This is a problem. Imagine waking up every day for 40 days. Eh? You line up for battle, you shout some war cry together, rah, and then watch Goliath come from the opposite end across the battle lines, challenge Israel, mock God, and then you shiver and you shudder. Every day for 40 days. Every day they wake up, eat breakfast, they come together, they line themselves up for battle, they're banging their shields, they're making all this noise, you know, yeah, they're psyching themselves up, all this psychological preparation that you need, and then one guy shows up, boom, everything falls. This is a problem I cannot fix. This is not a solvable problem. 40 days, no solution, just fear. Big problem, cannot solve. We're either going to die or we're going to be slaves to the Philistines. This problem is not going away. This guy shows up every single day. This problem is going to taunt us, is going to haunt us. It's too big to overcome. It cannot be fixed. And in 1 Samuel 17 verse 11, it says, every time Saul and the people of Israel heard Goliath's words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. You know, how, you know how this relates? When you've got a condition or a situation and it overwhelms you, whether it's a financial condition, whether it's a medical condition or a physical condition or just a matter of your work or family situation, and 
And I won't deny this. The fact is, we go through a lot of situations and problems and struggles and difficulties every single day. Some of them last a day, some of them last for days, for years even. But we go through situations and they often overwhelm us, just like how the Israelites were overwhelmed for 40 days. They had this problem, they could not fix it, they were overwhelmed by it, it was causing them fear, it was causing them all this anxiety, it gripped them. What, go, what if this goes very wrong? What if he or she dies? What if I lose this case? What if I go into debt that I cannot repay? What if, what if, what if? And then you get bogged down and torn out just by that anxiety. Magnifying the problem is an automatic response. I get it. I've, I've been there before. But you must understand, it is what the enemy would love to see you do. Because on its own, you tear yourself apart. On its own, you wear out. And maybe the only thing we need here is a change of perspective. The problem is there. But here was this one kid who comes up to the Israelite army and says, hey, what's the problem? Huh? And the moment he starts saying that, things begin to change. The moment he starts saying that, he... he gets hurt by his brother, he gets hurt by the soldiers, he gets hurt by the commanders, just by saying, who's this guy uh, who can come and defy Israel? Uh? Gets hurt by King Saul and then gets sent out by King Saul. Changes the entire situation because his perspective was not on the problem. I mean, you can imagine if Saul said, okay, fine, David, you go, God be with you. All the soldiers are... Uh, who have had some training, perhaps, all older than him, going, is Saul nuts or not? If we send this kid out, we're going to die. Lah. But this kid had a different perspective. Everyone saw the problem. This kid saw and magnified God. He didn't magnify the problem. He didn't magnify Goliath. He magnified God. And so he said, if this guy is going to defy my God, defy God's people, then he does not deserve to succeed. Because if God is for us, who is he? That is the heart and the perspective of a person who has magnified God. Question though for us is this, have we magnified our problems? So big that God cannot deliver, so big that we become anxious and worried and depressed. So tough to overcome. The Israelites magnified their problem. And 1 Samuel 17 tells us, and I want to share with you on the authority of Scripture, 1 Samuel 17 tells us, magnifying the problem is not the answer. Magnifying the problem only wears you out, tears you down. It only steals, kills, and destroys. There are two people in the story besides David and Goliath that 1 Samuel 17 also specifically addresses. And the question then is this, who did Saul magnify? Or who or what did Saul magnify? And Saul magnified or he zoomed in or he focused or was fixated on this one problem he had. It was inadequacy. We are not enough. We don't have enough weapons. We don't have enough soldiers. We don't have enough defenses. We don't have enough strategies. We clearly, obviously, don't have a guy who is willing, 
able and efficient enough to fight against Goliath. And so every day, they just sit there, they bang their shields, they shout some war cry, and then they shudder when Goliath shows up because we are not enough. How do you know that? When King Saul looked at David, he expresses his heart. He says, you are only a boy. This is 1 Samuel 17, 32. You are only a boy. You are but a youth. And Goliath has been a man of war from his youth. You are not enough. And then when Saul finally convinced to let David fight, he still thinks David is not enough and says, you try my armor. And then David's like, look, I am enough, right? So take off the armor. It doesn't work on me. I'm just going to go and fight. So Saul has this focus. He magnified, he zoomed in on the inadequacy of himself and his people. And because they were inadequate, they would not make, he would not make a decision and call a fight. He would not call. He was just stuck in fear that we are not enough. We will lose if we try. Question is this, have we magnified our own inadequacy? I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not wise enough, I'm not experienced enough, old enough, I'm not a Christian long enough. Because I'm here to tell you on the face of it, there is every reason to think that we're not enough. In every way, because we're human. The only thing is, do we magnify it? Do we focus on it? Do we zoom in on that? Because if we do, we will obviously be torn down by the fact that we are not enough. You're telling yourself that inadequacy is the end of the story. But again, on the authority of Scripture and 1 Samuel 17, your inadequacy is far from the end of the story. Amen. Your inadequacy is not the end of the story. So don't magnify the inadequacy. Don't magnify the fact that you're not enough. Don't magnify the fact that you don't have enough or you don't have enough finances or you don't have enough wisdom. Don't, because that is not the end of the story. The other person in 1 Samuel 17, sorry, let me just recap. Goliath magnified himself. Israel magnified the problem. King Saul magnified inadequacy. David's brother, Eliab, magnified something else. And I'm not taking this out of Jane Austen's book. It, the phrase just came to my mind. It is pride and prejudice. <laughs> Eliab shows up in a short part of 1 Samuel 17, but for good measure. I think there's a reason why God put the story of Eliab in. Because Eliab looked at David and then said this in 1 Samuel 17 verse 28. Eliab's Eliab's heard, Eliab has heard what David has told the soldiers. And so Eliab's anger was kindled against David. No, ask yourself, uh, why is he so angry? Uh? That's one question. Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. You just want to come down and see the battle. Hey, why you have to say it like that and the reason for that is this. One of the things the Bible tells us about David is that David is the youngest. But the Hebrew for youngest isn't necessarily biologically the youngest. 
In fact, sometimes it is used to describe the person who is the least. Least meaning you are the most insignificant. You are the most neglected. You are the least loved. And so you may be or may not be the youngest, but as far as people treating you and honouring you are concerned, they will honour the older brothers first. And so by the time he came to David, there was nothing much left. And so there was this pride that was in Eliab's heart, being one of the eldest brothers, looking at this kid, this little brat, coming up from leaving the sheep in the wilderness, trying to, uh, you know, see what's going on in the battle. When he is so young, he's not even conscripted into the army. And so he gets angry with this guy and says, who are you going to leave the sheep here just because you want to come and see the battle? Eh? Not just Eliab's pride, but his prejudice over David. Here's the problem. Because of his pride and his prejudice, Eliab was blinded. He magnified this attitude and was not able to hear what David was really saying. He was not able to see who David was magnifying. He was not able to realize that what David is saying is the truth. He was not able to see what David is saying is a change in perspective that all of Israel needed because he was blinded by his pride and his prejudice. Have we been blinded by our own pride and our prejudice? You look at a problem, the problem is big. You're like, I don't know how to deal with this, but definitely not this guy. I will have to deal with it. I'm the guy who knows better, not this person. And because of our pride and our prejudice, we dismiss perhaps even the next generation. We dismiss people whom God would speak to us or th through them to us. So whether it's your employees or your children or people of a different race or religion, if our pride and prejudice gets in the way, we miss what God is doing or saying through them. That's what Eliab missed. Four people. Goliath magnified himself. Israel magnified the problem. King Saul magnified the inadequacy. Eliab magnified his own pride and prejudice. Who did David magnify? God. David magnified God. In every conversation David had in 1 Samuel 17, he always talked about the Lord. He always talked about God. Because David could have very well magnified any of the other issues by these other guys. Whether it was the inadequacy, I look at all the soldiers, all scared, I cannot fight. Die like this. He could have magnified the problem, but what David did, or you look at himself and go, I'm just a boy, right? Who am I? But what David did was he was fixated on God. His vision was zoomed in on God. He magnified God in his vision. And you know how that shows? Everything he heard Goliath said did not detract him from believing that God's going to win this. Everything he heard the Israelites say did not detract him from the fact that God was going to win this. Someone just needs to trust God, go out there and fight this guy. And if you're not going to do it, I will. He was led by the testimonies of God's hand over his life. Sure, the problems are there. The problems exist. But 
even the problems with the animals were not as big as the problem of Goliath. But God was still and always bigger anyway. So who is this bear? Who is this lion? Who is this giant? God was always going to be bigger anyway. How did David magnify God? Just look at the life of David. As we study it, you will see this. Man after God's own heart. A person who, was, who in the years of wilderness, shepherding sheep, worship, experiencing God's goodness, cultivating so deeply in his heart a foundation of relationship with God. Cultivating that relationship, knowing that God loves him, knowing that he loves God. God was real, God was close, God was trustworthy. In Psalm 20 verse 7, that famous verse that we talk about, we declare when we go through problems and we say, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. And if you've never heard this verse, go back and memorize it, Psalm 20 verse 7. Because that will help you learn to magnify God in your life. Not your, in fact, in this case, this is adequate. Like we have enough chariots, we have enough horses. But David says, even if you think you got enough, I will magnify God. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. David, out of the depth of his heart, had already magnified God so big in his life that when Goliath taunted God, taunted Israel, taunted the people of God, he's saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine saying all these things? If no one's going to fight, I'll do it because I know God is with me and God is going to show his glory through me. This guy stands no chance. So who or what do we magnify? This is not a case of, you know, maybe we should zoom out and, you know, don't, don't miss the forest for the trees, get a bigger picture, eagle's eye view, that kind of, a bird's eye view. I know this is, what I'm saying here is an analogy when I use the magnifying glass. But my point is this, we will always magnify something or someone in our life. Always whether it's ourselves, whether it's the problem, whether it is the fact that we're not sufficient, whether it is our pride or our prejudice. But the question is, who or what do we magnify? And the challenge is to magnify God. The challenge is to magnify God. You see, ever since Genesis, God has always been there, and God has always been the biggest there ever was. Your problems may look very big to you, but here's how I'm going to demonstrate this for you. I tried to, at least in this image, make God not just the center of it all, but bigger than anything else. But looking at your problems is like doing this, taking a magnifying glass, going to the problem, And it's not SIBKL, don't worry. And I'm focusing on this pixel right here that is my problem. Oh, that looks like Goliath right there. And that's what you've magnified. And because you've magnified this, you don't see anything else. 
my challenge to you is to move that magnifying glass. Move that magnifying glass so that, now God's still here, right? God's still in the picture. I move that magnifying, oh, okay, yes. Reminder, move that magnifying glass. Can I go back to God, please? Let us all go back to God. Move that magnifying glass from here to here. And all you will see is God. All you will see, all you are fixated on is God. Whether it's here or here or here, anywhere, as long as your eyes are on Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know this song. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Upon Jesus. Look full into His wonderful face. And what does it say? The things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. The beauty about that song is that not just, well, it's not like, you know, taken out of a psalm or something, but it came from a person whose heart had already been fixated on God. So that everything that he focuses on is God and nothing else. It goes strangely dim, not because his eyesight went dim. It was because he just went out of focus. It was out of his visual scope. It was not there because he had fixed his eyes on Jesus. I remind myself of that song every time I go through a situation that, that you know, I, I think I, I have difficulty dealing with or facing or addressing. Sometimes I go to that song a bit too late. Sometimes I'm reminded faster to remind myself we have to magnify God in our lives. We have to be so fixated on God. Move that magnifying glass to God and focus on Him. Just focus on Him. Look to Him. Zoom in on Him. And all the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Can we stand, church? I invite you to stand. Here's what I want to do. Even as, we, even as I call Pastor Chiu up, we're going to worship God. We're singing this song, God, I look to you. And declare who God is in your life. Ask God to give you His vision. Ask God to show you what He sees so that you won't be overwhelmed. And as we do that, church, let's just look to God, worship God the way David did, and just say, honor God. God, I look to you. Hallelujah.
going to open the altar for three categories of people. When the Word of God is being preached, we want to not only hear it, but internalize it, believing that the Word of God that has been delivered will not return unto Him void or to you. Because God will wash over His Word to fulfill it. As the Word of God is being preached, I just sense my spirit, three categories of people. Number one, those with business deals. They are Goliaths in your business deals. Challenges after challenges in the past year or one and a half years or two years. Insurmountable because it's Goliaths. And you have gone through so many strategies, so many people, but no help. In fact, it got worse today. I want you to believe that even as you magnify God and not Goliath, not a problem, God will help you defeat Goliath. That stone that you sling will reach its target. Amen? Because it's not you. God will change the velocity of the wind. God will change everything. And Goliath will fall. Do you believe it? Because those of you in business deals, you come. Number two, those of you with personal health, Suddenly, you've come across a report, even lately, that certain things happen to you, your family, your relatives, yourself. I don't know, we have one member of my staff suddenly discovered that cancer stage 2A it shocked us. But I want to believe that because it's not the problem, it's not the Goliath, it's God. When you magnify God, you will be healed. I visited a cell just last week. Two people in the cell, one with stage 4 liver cancer stage 4 prostate cancer both healed both healed honestly what is your Goliath? look to God you will be healed number 3 those with work related issues career changes you are at a crossroads of your life I don't know what it is but it's open you come and let's believe Let's believe that even as we magnify God, God will enable us to overcome. Amen? So even as we sing this song, the altar is open. You believe God. Oh, Ramandara Katara Shanda.